Good morning, everyone. My name is Alan Mishra, and I want to start this lovely Saturday morning with a question. How many days are in 1 million seconds? All right, I'm going to spare you the math. I've already done it. It's early on Saturday morning. It's about 11 and a half days. And since today is August 6th, that means somewhere on August 17th, which happens to be a Wednesday, will be 1 million seconds from now. And my challenge for you while you're listening over the next 25 minutes or so is to think about what could you do with those next 1 million seconds. And I call this the million second challenge. So that's a question I want you to think about. And I want you to think about that in the context of three stories and three lessons that we're gonna go over. And the three stories are, number one, anything is possible. Number two, the shovel next to the grave. And number three, the four mile beach. And the three vital lessons that connect with these stories are to cultivate closeness, to think with time in mind, and to pinpoint your purpose. Now, before we dive into the stories and the lessons, let me go over the results of the Campbell Trophy Summit Vice score. So thank you to everybody who filled out the scores. We had 176 responses, that's awesome. And it's quite interesting what the results are. Now, when you look across here, it's very clear there's a lot of hope and there's an amazing amount of toughness uh, in this room. When you look around this room, you can see toughness, right? So that's awesome. And there's a high, high level of purpose as well. But on the other end of the scale here, sleep, fitness, closeness, and time are all things that we can work on. Now, let me do a little bit of homework for you. I broke it down by age, under 35 and over 35. And it's clear some of us that may be over 35 are bringing down the fitness scores, okay? So the fitness scores in people over 35 were way worse than the fitness scores in people under 35. But sleep, closeness, and time are clearly things that we can work on, right? So let's jump into that first story. And that first story is anything is possible. And I gotta start with a little history here. I bleed maize and blue from my bone marrow, all right? I went to undergrad and medical school at the University of Michigan. No, I did not play either football or basketball or any other sport. I played a lot of intramural sports. But in my bone marrow, if you open me up, it wouldn't be red, it would be maize and blue. And I, want to, and I want to share with you just a little of what it's like to go to a Michigan football game. How many people have ever been to a Michigan football game? Okay. Um, how, how many people have actually played in Michigan Stadium? All right, here we go. Just enjoy this. I can't think of a better way to start off a Saturday morning than with a rousing chorus of The Victors. All right, now, for those of you who are from Notre Dame or Michigan State or, or Ohio State especially, right, you're probably cringing. So I need a little bit of help, but I know you guys have watched a lot of game film. So I want your help on this next video. And watch closely because I have a question. All right. I don't know if you saw this, but this is from the 2016 Michigan-Ohio State game. And the, the villains won this game in double overtime, but this was the play that decided the game. Now, how many people here thought that he made the first down? And how many people thought that he didn't? Well, 
I did not doctor this too much, but check this out. It looks like our friend here, or excuse me, the villain, JT Barrett, was clearly behind the line. He somehow got an amazing spot. So as a Michigan guy who bleeds maize and blue, why would I ever want to hang out with anybody from Ohio State, right? They're the dreaded enemy. Well, fast forward to the inaugural Campbell Trophy Summit, and that was back in August of 2017. That's five years ago. Thank you, Mark Flynn, for everything you've done to make this possible back then and through today, and appreciate the opportunity to be invited. And during that, during that time frame, I was asked uh, by Mark and the other or organizers to help anybody who was interested in you know, going into something related to science or medical school. And during that time, I met Joe Berger. And I met him like we had a couple days ago up on the top, the roof of the Stanford football stadium. And I shook his hand and, and then he told me that he was one of the captains on the 2016 Ohio State football team. He was one of these guys. And here's a picture of, of Joe on the, uh, at, the, at the horseshoe. You can see him over here, but on the other side, who's that? That's the villain. That's JT Barrett. So when I met Joe, he seemed like an incredibly nice guy. Obviously, he was a Campbell Trophy Summit or Campbell Trophy finalist. A very smart guy, despite going to Ohio State. But what trans what has transpired over the last five years has helped me believe that anything is possible. Joe and I bonded during that that first Campbell Trophy Summit, and we have stayed in touch over the last five years either via email or via Zoom. And now he is a fourth year medical student go, uh, interested in going into orthopedic surgery. And we are also working on an interesting project together. And this has led me to believe that anything is possible. And I wanna share that with you. And what we're doing is, is trying to combat the mental health crisis with exercise. And in the last couple of years, um, especially with COVID, the amount of depression and other things related to that, and even prior to COVID, it was a, is a terrible problem. But we've uncovered some research that suggests exercise could be an amazing way to prevent depression in a significant percentage of people. And we're trying to use social media for good, and I want to share with you just a short video, Instagram video that Joe and I are, are, are working on together in this context. The value of exercise in the context of mental health, I think, is massively under-recognized. Small amounts of physical activity were associated with substantially lower risks of depression. 21 minutes per day of brisk walking was needed to reduce the risk of depression. So if you think like you might be down a little bit or you might be at risk for being down a little bit, embracing exercise as a way to prevent it is really, really valuable. It's important also in the context of what's happened over the last two or three years with COVID is we haven't been able exercise as much. We haven't been able to go to the gym. Uh, I think it was important now for us to reverse that because this one in nine cases of depression could have been prevented if everybody in the population was active at the current healthcare recommendations. So he is a football player, now is a medical student, future doctor, future orthopedic surgeon, and I have teamed up. Mich Michigan and Ohio State, you know, the, the Rebel Alliance and the evil empire have, have teamed up together to try to do something good. We're trying to encourage other people to exercise as a way to prevent depression specifically and the data backs that up. So if you're interested in, in working with us on that, uh, please you know, contact me or follow us on Dare to be Vital. The lessons I learned by connecting with Joe are, are, are manifest. There are many, but here's, here's a few. 
And there's some benefits of developing closeness across generations. And this could be a mentee and a mentor. And I don't know if I consider that mentee and mentor relationship with Joe, but let's, let's just explore that for a second. From a mentee's perspective, they get a fresh, fresh ideas about challenging issues in their life and they get, get camaraderie. The second thing is the mentor has an opportunity to another, help another human with meaningful feedback. All right, and camaraderie. So that camaraderie or closeness is crucial to your overall vitality. It's actually a predictor of your survival. When you look at the massive data sets that are trying to understand what are the most important things that literally keep you alive, social integration and closeness with your relationships are more important than quitting smoking, body composition, hypertension, or alcohol consumption. So the psychosocial factors are very important for longevity. And we, we often forget that. But a Harvard study, almost 80-year Harvard study, has proven that embracing community helps us live longer and also be happier. So this has led me also to develop Vitality Explorers. You can you know, join by going to the website or, or ch checking out this QR code, and I'll put it up again at the end. The second thing I have is some specific suggestions. Because we know closeness is so important to our vitality, I think it, we can work on it. And number one is to increase the awareness of its value, which I hope I've done for you here. The second is to just be curious about other people. Just listen with the intent of hearing what they have to say before you make a judgment about whether they could be a friend of yours or not. And the third is a difficult one, and that is to forgive others to restore relationships. So has anybody in here had somebody do something that was evil or wrong to them? Have you ever done something evil or wrong to somebody else? Well, instead of trying to isolate each other, try to figure out, and this is very difficult for me sometimes, uh, especially if I think I'm right, to forgive and restore that relationship. But that's crucial to your overall vitality. And the final one I have, the suggestion I have, is to practice scary sharing. And that leads me to the second story, and that's the shovel next to the grave. And this is a shovel next to a fresh grave. And I'm gonna admit that I took this picture. I took this picture almost exactly a year ago. And unfortunately, a close family member died in her early 50s, suddenly and unexpectedly. It was found actually dead in her apartment. It was a terrible situation. And I had to fly uh, during that still pandemic time from San Francisco to Detroit, and then find a way to get from Detroit to Lansing. There were no cars. I, I took a, a bus from Detroit Metro to, through Ann Arbor, back up into, into Lansing area, and I barely made it to the funeral, all right? And on that way, on that travel out to the funeral, all I could think about is, why am I going? What am I doing? You know, there's so much things going on in my life. There's so many things I got to work on. And I got to the funeral, and this shovel, this blue-handed shovel next to the grave assaulted me. It just screamed at me. And, I, you know, who pauses at a funeral and takes a picture, okay? So I did. But the reason I did is this shovel screamed at me and it said, you do not know when I'm coming for you. You do not know when your last best day will be. And, and it was a, you know, it was a difficult situation, a very difficult situation, but we also had some community with family members I hadn't, and friends I hadn't seen in a long time. And on the flight back to San Francisco, I, I, I understood something. I started thinking more about what was right in my life and stopped thinking about what was wrong. And here's the specific lessons I learned from that shovel. Number one, I do not know when my last best day will be, all right? That could be any one of us. Less likely for those of you who are young, more likely for those of us who are older, all right? The second is, we often perseverate on what's wrong in our life 
but we should also pause and reflect on what's right. And there's lots and lots of data about being grateful and, and practicing gratitude as being a way to enhance your happiness, joy, and, and vitality. And the final one is to remember that every single second counts. Now, as football players, you know that already, all right? You know, Usain Bolt crushed the 100-meter world record at 9.58 seconds. If you go to the combine, people measure your worth sometimes by how fast your 40-yard dash is. Clearly, seconds count in football, all right? But do we think about that in our lives? Do we think about every second that when we're living our lives and what we're doing with it? And the interesting part that's going on, and it's accelerated in the last five or 10 years, and especially the last five years, is there is a war on for our attention. The TV is screaming at us. Our phone is firing off alerts. People want our attention and they want our time. But do we consider it precious? Do we consider our attention and our time precious? And I would submit to you that I don't think we do, but we should, all right? And one thing I'm gonna suggest, again, what I like to do with Vitality Explorers and the course I teach at Stanford here on how to enhance your vitality is get down to specific, actionable, what I call info snacks. Little things you can do to help enhance your vitality. And I'll suggest to you, because I know I do this myself, is that I am wasting 1,000 seconds a day. And that's about 17 minutes a day, right? I'm doom scrolling on my phone, I'm complaining, I'm whining, I may be watching something on Netflix or YouTube that I've either seen before or really isn't that good, right? So if I can carve out, if I can carve out a thousand seconds, 17 minutes per day, and guess what? If I can do that over 11.5 days, what can I do with that next 11.5 days or 1 million seconds, okay? What could we do with that next 11.5 days or a million seconds, all right? So we're gonna sort of do a little interlude because we need to address this. And it's something that Serena Williams, Roger Federer, and Tom Brady are doing. Do you have any, any idea what all three of them are doing? Any suggestions, any ideas? Well, the interesting thing is they're binging on a legal performance enhancing drug. And no, I don't think it's one of Tom Brady's supplements. Um, and that, that, that legal performance enhancing drug is sleep. If you consider sleep a superpower, I'm gonna show you some data in a second here about how it enhances your athletic performance, but it also helps decrease the inflammation in your body and helps your mental health. And I think sleep is the foundation of both your physical and mental well-being. All right, here's the data on, on uh, athletics, and there's lots of it. If you sleep longer, and this was published by Cherry Ma, who's a, a sleep expert at Stanford and, the, and UCSF, she found that sleeping longer in the Stanford basketball players faster sprint times, higher field goal and free throw percentages. And she also looked at sleep restriction, shortening the amount of time and jump performance in, in uh, elite athletes, lower vertical jump height, and, and then um, slower reaction time. So it's, it's clear that sleep helps you from your athletic performance. But in your overall physical performance as an orthopedic surgeon, I know a lot about sleep, endurance and flexibility. And that's what I teach people how to, or I try to restore that with either surgery or other treatments that I do in my office. But what helped me with studying vitality is that sleep, diet, and weight are as important for your physical vitality, and especially sleep. So how do you sleep better? Back to that specific actionable things. How can you embrace sleep as a superpower? Number one, set a consistent sleep-wake schedule. Very important. Like your dog doesn't understand uh, daylight savings time, right? If you change daylight savings time, they want either their breakfast or their dinner, you know, an hour earlier or an hour later, depending on what time of the year it is. It's also important to limit caffeine and alcohol, especially closer to going to bed. 
optimizing your sleep environment, cool, dark, and quiet. And if you can, if you don't live in a dorm room, and many of you may not live in a dorm room anymore, banish your phone from your bedroom. Okay, that's an excellent way just to get your mind share away from that, at least while you're sleeping. And the final thing I want to suggest about with thinking with time in mind is to write your future headlines. We've been talking a lot about this, and I want people to continue to think about what they're going to do with that next million seconds. Where are you going to be on August 17th, or what do you want to have done? And think about that in one year or five years, all right? And then I want you to respect your future self, whether that's a million seconds from now, a year from now, or five years from now. Your future self is screaming at you to think better about how you spend your time, all right? And I have the, sort of a big hairy idea here about what could we all do if we thought in a 10-year or a 100-year time horizon, okay? Anybody know what this is? Okay, this is a picture of a black hole, all right? And this black hole, it's got a name, M87 or Messier 87. It took 200 scientists in 20 countries 10 years to come up with this single image, but this is the first image ever of a black hole. So they collaborated all over the world and they came up with a, with a picture, a literally a picture of a black hole, all right? So what could we do? What could you do? What could you do with the people around you if you thought in that 10 or even 100 year horizon, all right? That's a, that's a question I want you to think about as well as the million second challenge. And so that leads me to the final story and that's Four Mile Beach. And this is the story, sort of the vitality origin story here is, I was on vacation with my family, always wanted to go scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef. And a little town called Port Douglas has this incredibly gorgeous beach called Four Mile Beach. And each morning I would wake up, I would go to this beach, I would run about two miles down the beach, just in my swim trunks, no short, or excuse me, no shoes, no shirt, and then I would swim a little bit out. This is called the Coral Sea off to the left here, or you know, your left, um, and come back and then run the two miles back down to, to stand up underneath this palm tree. It's about 80 foot tall palm tree. And the last day I was there, the very last day I was there, I didn't want to go, uh, and I'm looking out at this beautiful Coral Sea at about 6.30 in the morning, and I had this idea. I'm like, oh my God, I feel vital. Now, of course I feel vital because I've been on vacation for a couple of weeks with my family. My phone isn't working very well. But that's when I started thinking about vitality. That was like an inception moment from that movie, that Leonardo DiCaprio movie. You will figure out what that word means. Boom, jammed into my head. And I'm going to share with you just a couple ideas that I've had over the last four or five years as I've been exploring vitality. And that number one thought or the thesis I have is that vitality is a skill. And so you recognize these eight parameters. These are the eight things that we asked you about in the Viscore survey. Hope, service, time, closeness, purpose, fitness, sleep, and toughness. If vitality is a skill, then it can be taught and learned. And that's actually what I've been doing for several years now through Stanford. Uh, I can't believe this fall I will be teaching my vitality class for the seventh time at Stanford. Um, but I think it's also important to understand that they are interdependent. So your physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being are connected to each other. And sleep is the most obvious example. If you sleep better, you're going to be able to perform better. And if you perform better, you're going to have a better mental health outlook. So, and if you sleep better again the next night, you're going to be able to exercise more. And it goes back and forth. So I think of this, I call it the bywheel or a virtuous cycle of vitality, sort of like a flywheel would be in a car or, you know, 
not an electric car, of course, but a combustion engine car. Okay, and so somebody's challenged me over the last year or so to come up with a definition. So this is my working definition of vitality. Vitality is purposeful, vigorous, and connected living. Let me say that one more time. Vitality is purposeful, vigorous, and connected living. And each one of those words is important because part of the thing that we didn't talk about yet, and you are pretty good, according to the survey, everybody here is pretty good at their purpose, but let's focus a little bit on purpose because I think it can help you with the other parameters like sleep and time. And purpose matters. And this is a picture of the Stanford dish. It was a beautiful day. And I really, uh, this was in the middle of the pandemic and I love going hiking around the dish. But I really realized on one of these hikes that purpose is so fundamental to our, to our sense of vitality. And it's a lifelong process. You know, when I was when I was 22 or 23, I just wanted to be a, an orthopedic surgeon. I wanted, and I was laser focused on that. And then I became a father. I became a husband and a father, and and you know, ran a variety of other things. And now I am, I'm working as an orthopedic surgeon, but also working to help enhance vitality. So my purpose has changed over time, and I think it's really important to know that it is the foundational component of your personal and professional vitality. If you know what you are about, if you know why you are here on the planet and what you want to do with your time here on the planet, you become a superhero. Importantly, it's a modifiable vitality asset. What do I mean by that? <laughs> modifiable. You can change it. And I think your purpose is a vitality asset. And I think it's one of the most important vitality assets you have. Interestingly, it's associated with lower mortality and less risk of chronic disease. So again, this is data. This isn't my opinion. And this is an interesting, they call this a Kaplan-Meier curve. But the closer or more consistently um, well you can describe your purpose, the, literally the less risk you have of dying. So this is a survival curve over more than five years. The yellow here is high understanding of your purpose and the black is low understanding of your purpose. So again, it's not just important to do for, for football or other things. It's crucial to literally living, all right? But finding your peak purpose, I think, can be incredibly challenging. And this is a picture of the Hillary Step, which is at the top of Mount Everest. And this is a very interesting story. I got a chance to travel to New Zealand and see where Sir Edmund Hillary grew up near Mount Cook in, in the South Island of, of New Zealand. And the story goes that as he was getting to the top, and he's at 29,000 feet. He sees this. And this is about a 60-foot rock and ice wall that's pretty vertical. It's actually crumbled a little bit due to an earthquake. But when he was there first time, he was trying. There obviously weren't ropes there when he got there the first time. He had to put himself horizontally. He had to put himself and put his hands on the rock and put his crampons into this hopefully hard ice and kick step himself up horizontally till he got to the top. So... It's very, very difficult. And we understand it will be very difficult. But if you, if you are committed to understanding and working on your purpose, again, it can become a superpower. And it took me about two years to boil down my purpose to just eight words. Enhance global vitality one person at a time. So if I, if I can, I really had this grandiose idea of help of just changing the entire world. But then I realized, and I hope it's true here today as well, that if I can reach at least one person in this audience today, I will have met my purpose for this talk. And it's, it's important to understand that because it's difficult, it's okay to take time. It's okay to realize that it's not going to be easy and you can reduce progress to, 
to finding your peak purpose to whatever is achievable within a given frame of time. And here's again what I recommend. You could say 15 minutes or 17 minutes or a thousand seconds a day, but I would suggest to start is that you pause on purpose for 15 or 17 minutes today and think about it. Go for a walk without your phone. Just think about what is your purpose. Think of it as a leveraged investment because again, if you know what that is, it helps you learn how to say no, it helps you to learn how to say yes, all right? Now, when you're thinking about trying to find your peak purpose, people go, well, how do I do that? Again, here's a couple suggestions. Um, Number one, dream greatly. Do not limit yourself, bet on yourself. And the minute you bet on yourself or you bet on your dream, you instantly have a higher level of confidence. And the second one is something that I've learned from living and working in the Silicon Valley for 25 years. And I've interviewed dozens, maybe a couple hundred people about vitality and some very, very impressive people. And when I asked them, well, how did you get to where you were? And they said to me, almost uniformly, they have an ability to get rid of the voice in their head. They can silence the voice of judgment in their head. So it's not that they don't have doubt. It's not that they don't have this idea that, oh my God, I'm not going to fail. They can put that little evil voice away. They can stop the the devil on their shoulder from screaming that you're not going to make it. And they continue onward. And then the final, final suggestion I have about finding your purpose is don't ask what life can give you. Don't ask what you can get from life. Ask what you can give to it. So each one of us has some things that we're going to talk about in a second in what I call the Vitality Explorer Challenge. But again, think about what you can give to life, not what life can give to you. So here's the three stories, again, that I hope you'll remember. Anything is possible in the context, especially of Michigan, Ohio State people working together. The shovel next to the grave and the four-mile beach. And the lessons are to cultivate closeness, think with time in mind, and pinpoint your purpose. And here's our challenge, or here's the challenge in addition to the million-second challenge, and that is to use your unique skills and enthusiasm to transform yourself, your community, and the world. So I I invite you to join me on Vitality Explorers. I'll put up the QR code in a minute. We get free text messages to your phone once a week with specific actionable ways to enhance your vitality. And I've been delighted to, to be part of Campbell Trophy Summit and a variety of other places over the last five years trying to spread the message of vitality. And then I'll finish with that question and then try to answer your questions. What are you going to do with your next one million seconds? Thank you very much.